We're running free this week on the Hit the Light Podcast talking Iron Maiden. The Hit the Light Podcast featuring Big Frog and Michael Castleberry is on the air. Covering classic metal and comedy from San Diego, California. So now sit tight and hit the light. The Hit the Light Podcast is recorded live and uncensored. Big Frog in particular is not politically correct, so please don't be offended. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hit the Light Podcast with me, Big Frog. Yeah, me, Mike Castleberry. And this week we are into Iron Maiden, the Nuovo Movement and Iron Maiden, mostly Iron Maiden. Right? Yeah. Because, I mean, that is, outside of Saxon, who never really broke that big in the States. Yeah. You know, but are still going and still touring and still a sick band. Maiden was really the only other one that ever, like, made it huge. Well, um, debatable in the sense that Def Leppard's considered oh, yeah. part of that. Right. But they didn't break with the sound that they started with right like they did all right their first couple albums you know right sold all right and, right but then when they completely switched it up with their uh was it their third album yeah that's when they got huge but yeah it was also a huge departure from their original sound right so in that sense they would be like the highest selling of any band that was ever considered yeah probably. and then there's this whole debate because I look at some lists and some consider uh, Motorhead right a part of it right I saw a list that referred to Judas Priest right yeah I don't I don't consider them I consider them influences right on the new wave of British heavy metal right but not part of that and you know what ironically also uh, it was flipped also because like according to the shit that I was watching it was like those bands, which is uh, Priest, uh, Motorhead, they got like new life out of the Nuwabum. When Nuwabum came, they, so they were like the influencers and then they became influenced and yeah. ran with it also, you know? Well, I've also seen um, Lemmy talk about that and he said like that whole movement didn't really do much for them. Oh now, yeah. But, <laughs> like, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's that. But then, like, like uh, Halford says, it did for them. Yeah. You know, and um, and there's so many like just in watching this uh, this one thing about Nuwabu, there was like uh, the manager for uh, for Iron Maiden saying, "Yeah, man, uh, we got the idea to release our first album independently from punk." Yeah. And we got, you know, that first uh, look of Eddie was like from punk and whatever. And then, and then they cut to Steve Harris going, no, we didn't get nothing from punk. We hated punk. No, it doesn't look like a punk. You know, so whatever. So, you well, know, that's the way it goes. It was, that whole scene kind of broke because, you know, at that time period, um, punk was beeping mm -hmm. in England and New Wave. Right. And then... Um, Metal was considered like dinosaur, dinosaur yeah, right? yeah totally. dinosaur rock. Like it was, so you started getting these bands that you, they can say like, "Oh, we weren't influenced by punk," mm -hmm. but they had a little bit more of a 
punky attitude to them. They're, you know, blue collar, really faster, Young, more yeah. aggressive. Um, so they weren't, you know, like the, the thing is, is it's heavy metal hadn't really been defined as a genre for the most part yet. Right. Um, I think it was just like heavy rock. Yeah. I think this movement helped solidify what metal really was. Right. Uh, because before that, I mean, if you really think about like the time period, you had, uh, you know, Black Sabbath as the originators, mm -hmm. um, that never considered themselves heavy metal. Mm -hmm. Um, you have Priest getting more and more metal-y. Every time. Every, yeah. yeah. But it's still, it's all new. Like Sabbath's first album was 1970. Right. You know, so... It's a very young genre, so you start getting these guys that have been listening to all this different stuff, and they're getting more and more inspired when they hear heavier stuff. You know, you're getting to the late '70s, mm -hmm. so they start. You know, all of a sudden, everybody's starting a kind of a metal band right. in England that right. aren't starting punk bands, and even some guys that were in punk bands started metal bands. Yeah, uh, you had a, a Tank, which had a I want to say it's a bass player from uh, The Damned. Okay. And he he started his own, you know, metal band right. and stuff. So it's interesting, though, because when I was reading some stuff about that whole movement, they're saying that there was a, uh, um, not a backlash, but a big criticism was the fact that since it was a local thing, it got mm -hmm. hyped up. Mm -hmm. and it was like, there's all of a sudden an explosion and there's just a lot of, like, shitty bands. Well, yeah. Attention. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's in a way, it's the same thing, it, because there's always been certain scenes that started as a backlash of something else. Yeah. You know, like for example, um, grunge was supposedly a re the reaction to to the hair metal thing. Yeah, you I know? wouldn't call it a reaction to it. I think it was just grunge grew out of the the hardcore and punk scene. Like, right. They like, No, I mean the taking off of yeah. grunge. That's what I, I don't mean the music. Yeah. I mean the taking off of the scene. Yeah. Was this scene dying and this scene rising yeah. from whatever. But none of that shit really sounds the same. No, I mean it's like when we talked about hair metal last week, it really becomes a matter of one band hits it big mm -hmm. from a scene. So then all of a sudden, everybody scrambled to sign other bands right. in that scene. Right. So when, um, when Quiet Riot mm -hmm. got big, mm -hmm. you know, they weren't really hair metal, but they were L.A. based at right. that point. Yeah. Um, and they were a historically a glam band. Yeah. yeah. But they were based in L.A. So all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we need to fucking sign metal bands right. in L.A. So they right. start getting Motley Crue and stuff popping up and then Poison. Right. And then it became, well, we want to sign people that are more like Poison. Right. Because Poison's like Van Halen. Life. Right. And easy to uh, easy to manufacture. It's, it's easy to manufacture and easy to sell. Right. Uh, it's not hard to sell, you know, cute guys that the girls are going to want Right. Like, By the way, I, you know, when, whenever we do these episodes, which is one of the reasons that I really like this shit even if not that many people listen to it, <laughs> is because, um, like, you know, I, get, I go back and get into the shit that we talk about, you know? And so this week I've been hair metaled out. 
And it's funny because I put on the first Poison album. Uh, look, look what the cat dragged in. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, like, if you just had it sight unseen of anything else, it's a heavier record than, than, you than you'd think. Yeah. And it, and then a lot of bands that, like, like let's say, like, Aerosmith or Def Leppard or other bands that were big at the time, this is this was has more guitar, heavier drums, all that shit than, yeah. than most of those. So, anyways, that's just something that I noticed. It's just a yeah, side note. Yeah. Yeah. I've been I've been diving into the whole new wave of British British heavy metal the right. last couple of days. Um, it's interesting though because, like you said, not many not many bands from that scene blew up big on right. a global scale. Right. Um, like you said, Sac you know Saxon. Is a pretty big band, at least in Europe. Still, yeah. uh, I don't know if they tour the states at all. Yeah, they do. They're they're a theater. They're a theater yeah. uh, band. They play like, um, you know, here they play the Brick by Brick, or yeah. they play Ramona. Yeah, you know, and it's a good payday. But, yeah, yeah, but um, and they don't have no other choice. Yeah, but <laughs> a lot of these bands, um, while they didn't get huge which is why most of them fell off in right. the 80s um they did inspire yeah guys out here so when you know metallica and megadeth and all them when they're talking about the bands that they, they liked, like yeah you know they they always talk about oh man yeah oh the new wave of british heavy metal yeah. oh my god angel witch yeah angel witch and witch fire general yeah. and diamond uh, head diamond head and tigers pantang mm-hmm. and so on and so forth right. so it's like it makes you want to like check that out right so, which that was what it was for me when because i remember the first time i heard that whole scene talked about i was uh i gotten the metallica cover album mm-hmm. uh Garage Inc. Mm-hmm. And like I think I came out in like '98, so right. I was like a junior in high school or something. And that was back when you used to have you know the little booklet and everything with the CD. Right. So it talked about why they're covering all these songs mm-hmm. that were on it, and um, it compiled like the it was two discs, and the first disc was the new 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 cover album, and then disc two was the Garage Days um, Revisited, and then they had like the Garage Days Re-Revisited. So that was like their little, you know, LPs they put out mm-hmm. back in like, you know, the late 80s and shit like that. Right. So that was some, those were like rarities at the time. Right. Like I remember we talking about them. It's like, oh, they're so hard to find. Right. But it compiled all these cover stuff they did. So right. And a, a ton of, you know, you had all this, you know, Diamond Head, yeah. Blitzkrieg. Which is cool in Metallica to do that. Yeah. You know. Because it gives the dudes a payday. Yeah. Well, you know, so I was listening to all these songs and I was like, man, I keep looking, I see how they did a a good amount of covers from Diamond Head. Right. And that was like they talk about back in the day. Um they their first like guitar uh tech that they had. Uh, he got hired because uh, at the time, not too many people knew those songs. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like now if like a band went up and did a Metallica song everybody knows. Um, most of their set was padded out by Diamond Head covers. Right. Um, 
most of them specifically from like lightning of the nations right and people just thought they were their shit yeah they just thought it was their shit yeah. they never heard those songs before yeah. and then some dude that i guess had been working as like a guitar tech for some other people came up to them one day after they played a show at a club and uh goes hey have you guys ever heard of diamond head <laughs> yeah and they hired him immediately right because they it's not like they wanted to keep it secret right but you know they had like they said like their first show they ever played they had one original song. right so it's like don't ask don't tell yeah <laughs> but um, so they talked about that whole movement of music right and at the time this is right we're not quite at the Napster era mm -hmm. so all I could do is know that there's these bands that they did these songs right and they were sick yeah and then Napster. I remember that kind of blowing up right yeah. after I finished high school. Yeah. And one of the first things I did Ooh, at my friend's house, uh, my friend Billy's house, uh, I started looking up the songs that were on those Metallica cover albums mm -hmm. and downloading the original versions. Right. So we put together like a mix that was like Garage Inc., but the original right. version. Right, original artist. And it took about 18,000 hours, you yeah. know, because each song took like 45 minutes because yeah. he had like a 56K modem and shit. Totally. And you listen to it, I'm like, wow, man, this is a pretty straight adaptation of mm -hmm. those Diamondhead songs mm -hmm. to the point where you're like, how do these guys not get big? Yeah, if you add some distortion and shit, yeah. that's it. That's it. And speed it up a little bit, that's it. And if you listen to them now, live, um, their, their sound live, is heavier mm -hmm. and the, the you know the songs they play that are kind of like the hits now mm -hmm. because Metallica made them famous mm -hmm. um, they kind of sound more along the lines of the, the Metallica right version well why not I mean it's but, the modernized thing but it's it's cool you know right and it's funny even the song like even the songs of theirs that they weren't covering like you could hear the influence mm -hmm. like Sucking My Love like that rip that's Seek and Destroy is just that fucking guitar mm -hmm. riff for mm -hmm. the most part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um, except for ones about getting your dick sucked. Right. And features like a two minute like instrumental break with a dude moaning like he's getting his dick sucked. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. what They don't do that shit live. Yeah. But the first time I listened to that, I was like, I made a joke. I was like, imagine all the people one day listen to the shit that influenced Metallica, and then they just had to sit and listen to a guy moaning. Right. And I'm like, the fuck is this? Yeah. Like, this is like, you can't do like how Guns N' Roses just recorded Axl Rose fucking and shit. Like, yeah. You, you gotta just be sitting in the. Yeah, <laughs> like with the, with the mic, with the, with the windscreen yeah. between you and the mic. Yeah, just sitting there going like, mm. Doing Donna Summer. Yeah, that shit was. <laughs> I was trying to listen to the, the original version of that song even today, and I still was like, I'm done. Oh, uh, that's hilarious. But, you know, it's a trip though that you listen to some of these albums, man, and um, it's. I don't know how some of these bands didn't get bigger. Yeah. I don't know if it was just not the right place at the right time mm -hmm. or what but mm -hmm. like uh, you know what man a lot of times it's the fucking one guy or one thing that needs to happen that's missing like Diamond Heads I don't think ever toured the states yeah so if somebody would have booked him on a tour you know like some band like like Judas Priest was like 
all right, who should we take on tour? Iron Maiden or Diamond Head? Yeah. And then, well, Maiden. Okay, well, <laughs> there you go. That that little decision right there, you know. Like in, in 78, it was a DJ named Neil Kay in, mm-hmm. in London. And, you know, he's fucking, he doesn't like punk. He doesn't like new wave. He likes fucking hard rock. Yeah. You know, and uh, he decides to open a club that's just basically like not even bands just a hard rock club that plays hard rock music and the dress code is hard rock style and it blew up like nobody expected that shit to blow up and they had stupid shit like air guitar contests yeah. where guys would cut out a guitar out of cardboard and come have a fucking air guitar contest whatever the fuck and so he starts just like playing local new music at this place and certain things start blowing up. This dude from Sounds Magazine, Jeff Barton, he says, you know, I'm going to give you a, a little, just a chart, just to put your top fucking 10 heavy metal songs mm-hmm. of the month or whatever, whatever. Next thing you know, Iron Maiden's on there. You know, yeah. fucking Tiger and Pantay are on there. And, and, and they start getting, you know, attention. Well, you know... This, I want to talk just... We're probably never going to talk about Tigers of Pantang ever again. No. Other than John Sykes. John Sykes, sick Yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, the, the album Spellbound, their yeah. second album, that's a really fucking good album. Yeah. That is right up there with... Th- that's right up there with, you know, Priest and Maiden. Like, mm-hmm. And like you said, um, that was the first one with John Sykes. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to join Finn Lizzy and White Snake. So he's made a name for himself. Right. As kind of like, you know, a little bit of a hired gun. Yeah, totally. But god damn, that's a fucking great album. Yeah. Like I was listening to that today at work. It is. It, it is. It's amazing. But the cool thing about bands like Metallica being influenced by these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking so openly about it. When you go and look at like the discography for a lot of these bands, mm-hmm. you see them just like fucking vanish mm-hmm. generally in like the mid to late 80s. And then all of a sudden they'll have like an album in 2001 and 2004. Right. Yeah. And you know, Diamond Head did the same thing. Yeah. Like where people start listening to their shit because band, you know, Metallica's the biggest band in the fucking world mm-hmm. right now. And has been for a while. Mm-hmm. So when they say, oh, this album was like one of our formative albums, mm-hmm. people listen to it. Right. And in, a, in an age where it's super easy to get everything you want, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden, more metalheads are going to check it out. And then people are going to be like, well, shit, if people are listening to our shit, maybe we should like start touring again. And mm-hmm. then, uh, so all of a sudden you see bands that have been pretty much dead, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, boom they're active again. Right. You know, which is kind of funny because like with, with Maiden, uh, they never went away. No. They just hit it big and stayed on top. Right. Um, Until people start leaving. Yeah. And then, yeah, then that's how that goes. But it's one of those deals where like, it's interesting that so many other bands fell off, but Mm -hmm. Maiden, Maiden survived all that. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's funny, man, like you talk about how some bands some bands make it and some bands don't or some bands, you know, <clears throat> stay at a certain level or whatever. Like, for example, like Saxon. Man, I love Saxon. They kick ass. And, like, when I was in, when I was in Spain, Saxon was huge. Like, mm-hmm. Ozzy opened for Saxon. 
you know, when, when uh, over there. And, it's, and shit was different. Like, like people here liked certain things more and people over there liked certain things more. And there was a, 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 a thought that, um, that, well, these, in the U.S., that shit won't fly. Yeah, but here it does, or whatever. And for the for the first like couple of times that I saw uh, Iron Maiden come around, their uh, set list in the United States was different than their set list in Europe. Mm. That's how much they thought that really that European fans were more sophisticated than we were in in a sense. I it, you know, it's what what sucks about that for me is. Um, that's just an ongoing thing for a lot of bands. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's, to an extent, it's true. Mm-hmm. Just hard hard rock, heavy metal, and stuff like that. But it, it's just bigger in Europe yeah. than it is in the States. Yeah. Especially nowadays. Yeah. So even American bands, um, when they go and play Europe, that's when they play some more of the rarities. Mm-hmm. Or, they, you know, or even when they, like, go to Japan or something like that. I mm-hmm. think something I don't know if who is like the OG of that, but I feel like Deep Purple was like one of the original they bands were. to be like, oh, Japan is like right. the shit. Yeah. For, for Certain bands got huge in Japan. Deep Purple, uh Cheap Trick got huge in Japan. Yeah. Uh anything anything uh Maiden was huge in Japan. Yeah. And and they were the first ones that uh that where we started buying Japanese import albums. Yeah. Because they would have an extra song or yeah. two and, you know, uh, picture discs, weird shit. You yeah, know? that's Japan and Europe get all the cool bonuses. Yeah. And shit like that. And then you, you know, we won't get too much into it, but then you had bands like Loudness pop up in Japan right, that right. like got super, you know, inspired by all this shit too. Yeah, totally. Totally, and and what I was gonna say about Saxon is is funny enough, is that um, there's always all these strategists who are telling you what it's gonna take to make it in the U.S. or what it's gonna take to, you know, it, it always it makes me think of that that one guy in the in the Bohemian Rhapsody movie who didn't like. The Bohemian Rhapsody song. Yeah, it's like I always think of that guy. Like you know, like there's a guy who looks like that who's telling uh, Saxon that they have to wear spandex and fucking whatever yeah. when they literally have an album called Denim and Leather, <laughs> and they don't wear Denim and Leather. Yeah, and if they would have, I just I think it would have could have been that simple. They would have been so much huger. Yeah, if you know friends of mine didn't like that video that you sent me of the top 10 no album bands or whatever they sure enough is fucking saxon with biff in the white spandex days with fucking with the bandanas and shit and it's just like that's gonna fucking turn some dudes off right away and and irredeemably oh yeah and you know just imagine if you know priest put out you know hellbent for leather but everybody's in standard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just it's just one of those things. Yeah. I mean, you never know what's going to hit big or what isn't. It's just the right cocktail. Because, you know, there's no... It, when you look at, like, what they did, there's no real reason, like, Metallica above all these other heavy metal bands... Right. ...should have gotten as big as they did. Right. You know, it's... 
they're they're pretty much my all time favorite band. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when you listen to Metallica, they didn't do anything particularly better mm-hmm. than any other thrash band right. in that era. But you Megadeth know what? It, was faster. Slayer was more aggressive. Right. right. Anthrax was Anthrax. Yeah. You know what I think? You know, with Metallica, it's it's it really is to me. It's one of those less is more type of situations. Yeah. Where the less uh, bold decisions you make, the less there is to criticize, mm-hmm. you know. And so Metallica didn't do any gay shit, you know. They didn't. Uh, they, they everything was like like real. Yeah. And and I think that people that people love that, you know. And 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 even if it's not really real, the the. Um, the image that it is yeah. is just like so fucking you know overwhelming. It's it's I when I first saw Metallica, they were dressed like I was dressed, yeah. you know, and I thought that was the greatest thing ever, you know, and evidently so did a lot of other people, yeah, you know, because they got big pretty fast, you know, but. Um, Anyways, back to the Nuabo thing. <laughs> the uh, there's basically two huge events, and one of them wasn't huge at the time, but uh, there was a concert that they had that uh, because uh, this dude Neil K once his once his little club took off, he opened a bigger club called the Sound House, <laughs> and now this was had bands play and shit, and so he puts on a gig as Angel Witch, Saxon, and Maiden. Right, and it gets covered in the Sounds magazine, and they're like, "Yeah, this is a great concert, whatever, 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 whatever." These were the bands, and the the headline said, "The new wave of British heavy metal." Yeah. So that's where the name comes from, and so those three bands, Saxon, Maiden, and Angel Witch, are basically the first ever to be under that label yeah you know and from there you know it spreads out or whatever but you know yeah it's funny thing about maiden um when you know i was saying before when they're talking about like fuck no we didn't we didn't like punk we didn't Mm -hmm. have anything to do with punk Mm -hmm. but you look at paul diano oh yeah he he was way more of a punk he was a punk he was a fucking street punk yeah that's what he was he was more of a punk dude than a metal dude yeah pretty much which probably one of the reasons why he had to go eventually. I, I, I guess so. But, you know, those early Maiden, man, that's a lot, you know, it's it's, stra- it's straddling that line a little bit. Um, right. Not quite as much as Motorhead. Right. But there's, you know, an aggressiveness. Mm-hmm. And speed. That's, you know, that's... For the bit, time, yeah. yeah. Totally. Totally. And so the other... Uh, the other big one was, okay, so Maiden has an album, right? And it, it was, it did well, not that big, but it did well, whatever. And, um, and a lot of those bands that were playing in this dude's club got a shot to be on a Reading Festival, right? So, this, you know, because this is one of the early festivals before Download or Vakken or any of that shit. It's the Reading Festival in England. And so they play early, and a lot of the bands that are playing around that De- uh, Def Leppard was on there, um, Diamond Head was on there, other bands were on there, right? And supposedly, even at that time, 
uh, some magazine had printed that Def Leppard were sellouts <laughs> and all this shit. So supposedly when they went on at Reading, they got piss bottles thrown at them and all kinds of shit. So they've been dealing with this shit from day one, basically. You know, the whole sellout thing and the whole, all that, right? Yeah. And then Maiden plays and basically, and Samson plays. And so after that gig, that's when the, uh, Rod Smallwood approaches uh, Bruce. Yeah. Like, hey, you know, we're going through this thing. He might be out. What do you think? And Bruce just said, yeah. Yeah. Basically, like, right away. And so then, and, and still in all, it was still one of those things, almost like Deep Purple, where the original band still thought they were in the band. Even, yeah. and the, even though there was already dudes who were going to be in the band who already knew they were going to be in the band. Yeah. You know, or whatever. So it was kind of like that. And then, boom, Number of the Beast, and Number of the Beast goes number one in England. Yeah. So, obviously, that's, that's you know... That's the, the correct combination. Right, the correct combination. Which, you know, it is, it's a trip, though, how those things worked out. Because, yeah, um, Samson, they're recording... Uh, an album in the same studio at the same time as mm-hmm. Maiden also mm-hmm. when they're working on Killers so it's right. like they were adjacent for a little while there right yeah know? and it's interesting because they play it up now as oh this this is all done because we just needed a better singer mm-hmm. Bruce is a better singer and it just made the most sense and it really, you know, when you hear the stories more, it was more just, you know, they were not getting along with Paul. And mm-hmm. Paul was super self-destructive, so mm-hmm. he had to go. Right. It's, you know. And you know what, man? It's just like it's just like the the story I tell about my bands and the, and uh, you know the Dave Mustaine story and all that. It's like you can be that out of control, crazy motherfucker. After you're huge. Yeah. After you're huge, you can do all that shit and they have to deal with you. Yeah. Because they, they, they can't get away from it. Yeah. But if you're just fucking barely cracking the thing and they're like, oh, this is the perfect time to get rid of you. Yeah. Because you're going to fucking be in trouble. You're going to hold us back. So out goes Mustaine, out goes Diano. Yeah. You know, out went my whole band, you know. <laughs> and, and that's the way... Uh, that's the way that goes, but uh, and and that was the time that I first heard Iron Maiden was uh, probably I guess it was eighty two, uh, late night request yeah. line on the radio and Number of the Beast comes on. It's like fuck, yo. And then I've, I've yeah. told it before. Yeah, where you bought Killers. Went to go get the album. <laughs> they didn't have it. Got Killers. Fell in love with Killers. Yeah. Right, so it's like I would have liked them at any time. Yeah, you know. Also, I heard the song before I saw them or saw the record or saw anything. But if I would have seen the record, I would have bought it just based on looking at. Oh it. yeah, any of them, any of those first three. Oh yeah, you know, uh, they're they all have cool covers. Yeah, man. You know, it's like you said. Uh, I think you mentioned it before, though, as far as you're concerned, like, the definitive Eddie is on uh, Killers. Killers, definitely. That's, that's, that's who he is. Yeah, so, that's Eddie. That's, you know, it, that if Eddie dies and goes to heaven, that's what he'll look like. <laughs> what, what's funny to me is, um, 
because of Maiden and stuff, for a minute you had other bands like they had their their little mascots, right? Like uh, Dio's guy, I forget what his name is, so Harvey or Barney or some oh, shit that like weird. that. Bur, uh, Murray. Murray. His name is Murray. Yeah, the weird demon thing. Yeah, the weird demon thing. Um, Megadeth has a Vic Rattlehead. Right. That just seemed like an Eddie knockoff. Right. Like they, they really... They started, like, de-emphasizing him after a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it was late. Yeah. It wasn't really taken off. And, like, their, yeah. their first album, the album cover was terrible looking because someone didn't quite get the concept they're going for. Yeah. So it's just that shitty picture of a stupid skull with, like, some, like, piercings in it. Totally. Like, they actually, they re, when they reissue the album, they have, it has completely different cover art. Oh, really? Um, See, I thought that thing was, like, a terrible take on the Motorhead work looking thing oh, whatever yeah, that yeah. is that's what I thought that was but yeah no but I mean well Motorhead's had that since early pretty early on they've had that that uh, whatever symbol. that thing is yeah. yeah and that's a kick ass thing whatever that is I mean it, it, it's good like just that to have just that on a shirt is fine you know and just have it say Motorhead and that's that's a kick ass shirt but, um, yeah, so I heard Killers first, and then got the first album, and then, no, and then got Number of the Beast, obviously, and then got the first album. And then after that, it was all about, like, rarities. Like, uh, you know, they had, uh, they used to have the Japanese singles, the Aces High single had that badass picture of Eddie as a pilot. Yeah. You know, we got to get that. And then, oh shit, Live Plus One, it's a, it's a early live album with Diano, gotta get that. Mm-hmm. Oh shit, but you don't have the Soundhouse tapes, the original demo, gotta get that. You know, so it, it was uh, one of those things. And, and all that shit was hard to find. Like, we'd have to go to like Blue Mini Records in Oklahoma, the Tower Records by the Sports Arena had a lot of kick-ass shit. Was, Tower Records by Sports Arena was my shit. Yeah. For, for like, it, it's a, it's a shame it died, but that was my shit in the nineties. Yeah, where, I think I've talked about that before. That's where I got uh, fair warning and shit like that. Right, I was you know hanging out with people and then going and hanging out in the porno section they had there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Introduced to the concept of bukkake. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny because like my whole uh, well, not whole, but part of my um, little heavy metal existence all took place right there because I used to go to the swap meet with, uh, he was my grandmother's husband. So we used to call him Grandpa Eddie mm-hmm. and uh, White Dude. Yeah. And so he, uh, he had some illicit business where he needed like a front or something and his front was selling shit at the swap meet, right? And so we would go to Spring Valley swap meet and then we started going to Kobe swap meet. So, right there, I'd be working with him at a swap meet, going around, buying used albums, you know, and then there was the, the little uh, people who would have like racks and racks of new cassettes mm-hmm. that were like bootlegs or something. And then there was the Tower Records. And then I think I bought like my second guitar at that swap meet, you know. So, it was all right there was a little heavy metal central for me. Yeah, you know it was cool, but uh, yeah. So started picking up all these, you know, all this rare shit, 
and it was it was a, it was a trip because it was like I didn't have no money but I didn't like think twice about dropping 15 bucks for some rare maiden thing yeah you know it was like they were quickly quickly becoming my favorite band yeah you know and they wouldn't really until Bruce left they wouldn't really relinquish that you know and then still now like right now there's the dudes that uh, that I was with in Spain and uh, you know it was an Air Force base where we all went to school so everybody's all scattered throughout everywhere now but when we get together like we're gonna get together in a little while to go see Maiden yeah you know it's like Maiden is a is a unifying yeah. thing for for us from because it just so happened that we knew each other in 83 so you know and yeah and that was the shit. Yeah. And the funny thing in Spain was that uh, trademarks and shit like that in other countries are not as well enforced as they are here. Yeah. Right? So we had like, there is a thousand Spanish magazines that would all have like these bootleg posters of Eddie. Like <laughs> somebody drew that shit. It yeah. wasn't the original, it wasn't Derek Riggs. You know, but somebody drew that shit, but we'd have them posters on our walls and Eddie doing this or that with a brain, you know, yeah. it was a peace of mind to just come out. Yeah, they but, can't legally uh, say Eddie. Yeah. It says like Ed. Eduardo. Eduardo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, man, I mean, we were, uh, we were into that shit and there was, a, there was a couple of things that stood out for Iron Maiden for me right away. And that was um, Steve Harris. I had never heard a bassist do that. Yeah. You know, I mean, he drove the fucking songs. Oh, you know. And and then also too. Uh, that's when I started really getting into reading liner notes or whatever. And he wrote on the first album. He wrote like almost everything. You know, or he was in on everything. Yeah. Um, and surprisingly as it went on he wasn't like a dick who you know like is like no fuck that i write the songs or i you know i get so many you get so you get two you know whatever whatever he started as other dudes wanted to write more and he was like okay go for it cool. so then you had these bruce dickinson songs and you had uh adrian smith and bruce dickinson started writing together or whatever whatever Dave Murray would write like one song every like five years or whatever, but he was welcome to it and he wrote some killer shit, yeah. you know? But uh, but yeah, Steve Harris was the dude and wrote lyrics, which was a trip, you know? Yeah. And the funny thing is that I like I like uh, Steve Harris's lyrics better than I like Bruce's and he's the singer, but... It depends on, you know, everybody has, you know, has their point of view that they're going sure. across. Because it's like we're... We're talking the other day, you know, Geezer wrote pretty much all the lyrics for Sabbath, mm -hmm. and he wrote some killer fucking lyrics. Same thing. Yeah. You got the, the bass player writing the lyrics and shit. Right. It's a, a little bit different, though, because, you know, Geezer, it's, it's Iommi's band. Right. Whereas, you know, that's the thing with Maiden. It's easy, it's easier to, to be driving the song as the, ba the, you know, as the bass player if it's your band. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With that. That's true. That's and why uh, with Metallica, uh, sometimes the drums are a lot higher in the mix than they need to be. Because right. It's, at the end of the day, it's pretty much it's Lars' band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And um, you know, another thing too, when you were talking about dudes who make it, dudes who don't make it, whatever, 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 it helps to have a dude like Steve Harris with just single-minded fucking focus and this is what we're going to do. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're just going to do this. We're going to fucking work and fucking, if you don't get on board, you're fucking out. You know, and I mean, it's dudes like that that make shit fucking happen, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately, I never fucking got a dude like that to help me out, you know? And, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, and I was like, I was honored. John Sykes, I was like John Sykes, like fucking, you gotta fucking drag me to the fucking do work, yeah. you know, or whatever, but man, it is what it is. So basically, like, one thing that I always kind of struggle with is, you know, you say, like, old maiden, new maiden, or middle maiden, whatever, whatever you well, know. There's not a big distinction. I mean, there's a distinction between Bruce maiden and Deanna maiden. Right. And... Glaze. <laughs> well, yeah. But maiden, like, as far as, like, yeah, they changed, they added some different things, mm-hmm. and maybe they got a little more simpy mm-hmm. on some stuff. But. And that's, you know what? And that's where the change was for me. Because, like, after Somewhere in Time, when Somewhere in Time came out, a couple of things were different. I would, you know, I was back from Spain and fucking hair metal was upon us, right? Uh, the, um, I bought it on cassette, which was weird because now reading those little tiny lyrics and little tiny words and mm-hmm. weird shit folds out, yeah. it, it was terrible. And, and the cassette was a terrible invention. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, uh, except for with home recording, it was good for that. Yeah. But for mass, like, media, uh, Oh no! Yeah, you gotta you gotta, gotta rewind. Rewind everything. Yeah, you know if you, the tape is finite, obviously. Yeah, you know if you wanna uh, listen to a song that you know skip to it, you gotta fucking fast forward. Right, and you right. Spend a bunch of time like stop back, right. stop back, fuck, yeah. God damn it! That's uh, you know it's funny because I mean as you know I still have a tape player in my car, mm-hmm. right? The '96 Buick, balling out of control. You know, uh, and that one day I, I just like grabbed a tape that I had in there and it was deep purple and it was some weird shit. Remember, it was like some yeah. whatever and finally figured out what that tape was. It was called Smoke on the Water and it was uh, some like gas station bootleg tape that you get from the bargain bin or whatever. Oh God, those are always fun. Yeah. That was the first time I saw a, uh, it wasn't at like the gas station, but it was at like um, Kmart. There was a first time I saw a uh, Black Sabbath Greatest Hits CD. Right. And it was it was all the non Aussie shit. But when I looked at it, I'm trying to remember what was on that now uh-huh. because as far as I could tell, looking back, because I remember seeing that, I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. This isn't Black Sabbath. This is some shit that's definitely not. It looked like it was like a compilation of um, the Tony Martin oh. shit. Oh, wow. But it's like I've never seen that thing before since right. it's just like, like the random bargain area in right. Kmart like, over you know, in Spring Valley. If you took like the best songs from all those albums, you'd have a fucking hell of a record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. They're spread out. Yeah. I mean, you got a couple cool records in there. But. 
You know how every once in a while we throw a what if, like what if this happened, what if that happened? You know, it, you just reminded me of something because like, <clears throat> you know, when, when Ozzy left or whatever, uh, or got fired, left, whatever, Bill Ward was distraught, mm-hmm. you know, Geezer was distraught. They both kind of went on their way and, and uh, basically Tony and Dio wrote the record not knowing if these dudes were even going to be back or well, not. Yeah. The you dude know? that, uh, I think the dude that played keyboard, plays keyboards, uh, he originally on the demos played all the bass. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Geezer, when he did get back on board, he just played right. the shit that the other dude. Right. Played. And, and then that basically set the template for the, for, for what was happened later. Mm-hmm. But imagine if, Dio joined and everyone was just instantly on board. And Geezer's just like, man, I got these lyrics. And Dio's just like, all right. Imagine Dio singing some Geezer shit. Yeah. That would be rad, I think. It would be awesome. Oh, it'd be good. Yeah. It'd be a very different record. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, you'd still have, like, Dio write, like, half the record. Yeah. You know, and then have Geezer write, like... Yeah, that was the thing. And so we've talked about that before, that, um, you know, they were... They they weren't even gonna call it Black Sabbath, like right? They yeah, thought about just shortening it to Sabbath, or because at the time the band wasn't in, right? And then all of a sudden they started reconvening, mm-hmm. and then they're like, "Well, I guess we're Sabbath, we're Black Sabbath." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Oh, you know what? On a, on a, uh, this is a current event side note too, since we're almost at the end of this, anyways. Um, the, it's it's happening again where the the old dudes that were in Blizzard of Oz are <laughs> spouting off again and Sherry's fucking saying, you know, it was never a band, it was always just Ozzy. They were always just hired guns, this and that, whatever, whatever. But now Bob Daisley says, no, fuck that, that ain't true. Fucking Lee Kerslick says, no, fuck that, that ain't true. You know, and, and it's like, and one guy commented and he's just like you know what man at the end of the day Sharon will go down for two things one she saved Ozzy's life and two she a fucking crazy mean bitch yeah you know and other than that that'll be it you know where fucking you know Bob Daisley wrote fucking some bomb ass shit whether he got paid for it or not he wrote I mean he 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 wrote that album basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. Ozzy's biggest considered, you know, best album, that was Bob Daisley. Right. You know, that was, and Randy Rose. And Randy Rose. Um, who brought over some riffs from. Yeah, his, his own shit. His old shit and repurposed them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I don't know. That's. Sharon, I mean, I'm glad she saved Ozzy's life. And, mm-hmm. You know, if she didn't do that, we wouldn't have gotten a lot of good shit. A lot of good shit. Yeah. But, you know, it was at the expense of a lot of shit, too. And it's propping up this myth that is Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say he's not a star or right. anything like that. And he's, or say he's not talented. Right. But he's probably the most carried dude. In oh, yeah. Nobody's done, done more with less. 
Like he, you know, he got carried in Sabbath for yeah. the most part. Yeah. He got carried in his solo career yeah. because he had some sick fucking musicians around him. Yeah. And every story I've ever heard has always said that, you know, it was supposed to be the band is Blizzard of Oz. Right. They, re- they got together, they worked together, they jammed together. Like yeah. that was the intention. And then the record company basically said, it probably sell better as an Ozzy Osbourne solo record, so we're gonna call it Ozzy Osbourne, and the album title is gonna be Blizzard of Oz. Right. But you know the band was called that. Yeah. You know, so it's it's just one of those things. One of those things. You know, it's like oh, it's never about that. And, uh, it's just further propping up this whole Ozzy is like the single greatest right. icon of all time. Right. And, and yeah. You know, left like, if left to his own devices, he'd he would flounder. Shit. He yeah. wouldn't run shit. He said like when he talked about it would know, be a hell of a party. Yeah. Yeah. He when he talked about Ioni, he was saying he didn't like working with him, um, and he prefers when he's solo. Right. Because he's in charge when he's solo. Right. And that that works better now that he's sober. But he also said, you know, yeah, Tony was a dick. You know, he's like I like him as a human being. I right. Like, hanging out with him I didn't like working with him because he's an asshole but at the same time if he wasn't that asshole nothing would have gotten done right it's like we have all just been sitting around with our thumbs up for our asses Tony was the guy that drove Sabbath right got us where we were he was Steve Harris yeah <laughs> yeah but, so you need one of those guys well, man. yeah every band needs one of that and that's maybe where we're answering why Metallica was the band that blew up the hardest because you know shit on Lars all you want he's the hustler right he was the guy that had the record deal and had no band yeah exactly you know that's how that's how hard he well yeah talks at least but yeah. he managed to get themselves a deal with no band yeah <laughs> it got people excited about it and all that mm-hmm. you know and I mean like is he the greatest drummer in the world no but he's not the fucking worst drummer in the no, world either. I mean, like, he, he's good. He's fine. I'd take him in my band shit. <laughs> you know, you listen to... It's funny because people always like to shit on him as a drummer. Yeah. But when you listen to those records, you go like... Like, what 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 would be better? Right. What part sucks? Yeah. What would be better in these songs? Do right. you need more fills? You know, yeah. Like, what, what are you... Right. What, what are you saying sucks here? Because... The only thing I can say about Lars that that has sucked at different times is what he's chosen to do with his drum sound. Yeah. That has sometimes sucked. But, like, um, someone asked him about that before, because I'm sure people talk to him, and they always want to ask, like, oh, how do you feel when people say you're a sucky drummer? Mm. And I don't know what the exact question was, but he was basically like, well, dude, you know. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, maybe you know, and he basically did have this whole take on: Are there better drummers in the world than me? Yes. Yeah. Um, is there Metallica? Is there a drum? You know, I might not be the best drummer in the world, but I'm the best at playing with James. Right. He doesn't have to be a crazy drummer. He just, you know, James is writing the, you know, he's he's putting out other than guitar. He's got to play, you know, right. play along with James. Right. So they work together. Yeah. And that's <laughs> so. Also, too, one of the, uh, 
like one of the parts in that uh, some kind of monster that I I mean that that movie for me is like the most cringiest shit that yeah. I almost I can watch but there's parts of it that I like you know and and part of it is when when they're working on rhythms and shit and Lars is behind the drums and James is playing fucking Lars is like the only dude who can tell James nah that's I don't yeah. like that. You try to, you know, whatever. And maybe having that editing power yeah. is part of what makes the band great. Well, yeah. You know? I mean, I think it was Lars that even when um, when Kirk Hammett first showed them the riff for Inner Sandman, mm-hmm. uh, it was just da 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 and then Lars just goes, "Why don't you play that first part a few times in a row, and then?" Yeah. So that's how you got da 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 Yeah, yeah. That was just him going like, "Play that a few more times, and then go into the second part." And then all of a sudden they're like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, that's much better. And all of a sudden they got like you know the song that blew him up and fucking help sell like 30 million records right and- <laughs> yeah all right so we're at 53 minutes we i mean basically you know what i think like because the new album was what it was mm-hmm. and because you know we weren't completely swept away in it and at that time and all that We've we've discussed what we know about it, yeah. You know, and that took fifty minutes or so, give or take, talking about Metallica. Give or take, talking about Metallica and Black Sabbath and Ozzy, whatever. <laughs> but next week we'll be back with Iron Maiden. We'll get into the albums, we'll get into the songs, and um, and we'll get into the eras, and uh, it should be good. So thanks for listening to the Nuabum uh, episode. And next week, we'll be back. Until then, this is me, Big Frog. Yeah, me, Mike Castleberry. For the Hit the Light Podcast, and we're out. Can't you believe your eyes? It's a real-